Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, church, and happy Father's Day. How about a hand to all of our dads? Thank you, dads. Thank you. Oh, man, we don't get much like that's about it for dads, you know? I mean, moms, yeah, like dinner, all this kind of stuff. What do dads do? Go home, have to cook their own Father's Day meal. But, uh, (laughs) oh. See exactly what I'm talking about. You guys just made my case. <laughs> but we're men, we can take it. <laughs> oh, man. It's good to see everyone. Um, hey, um, I want to pray this morning for uh, Charleston, for the situation there. Uh, no, everyone knows what's going on. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit through the sermon this morning. Um, Maybe some of uh, my thoughts also at the beginning. Uh, we do want to pray for the families, all the families. And I uh, appreciate someone in the first service reminding me I didn't pray for Dylan Roof and his family. And, uh, and we're going to pray for them as well this morning. Uh, the names of the family members, our brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, uh, are going to be up on the screens as we pray. Uh, one of the things in the vineyard that we that we kind of teach people when they pray is you don't always have to close your eyes when you pray. I don't know where we got that from. I guess so we can feel like we're not there when we pray or something. (laughs) But sometimes when we pray for people, we should keep our eyes open so we can see what God's doing. And uh, this morning, you can close your eyes, of course, when you pray, but the pictures are going to be on the screen of our brothers and sisters who uh, died this past week, and we're going to pray for their families. We're going to, I'm going to call their names out. We're going to take a couple of minutes to do that. And so, I would, though I'll be praying, I would invite all of you, all of us as a church, and if you're a guest here this morning, please join us and lift their name and their families up this morning. Um, so we're just going to go at it. Father, thank you for time together as the church and to know that we are called to prayer. Uh, we are called to pray for one another. And so this morning, we lift up Emmanuel AME Church. Lord, we pray now for Cynthia Hurd's family, 54 years old, branch manager of the Charleston County Library System. I know she will be missed, and we pray for those that she worked with. We pray for uh, all of her siblings and her family. We pray you would bring compassion. We pray for Susie Jackson, 87 years old a long-time church member, faithful, loyal church member there. We pray for Susie's family. We lift her family up to you, that you would be a very present help in time of need. Come, Holy Spirit, you're the Holy Comforter. Would you come and make yourself amazingly present as they experience the peace that passes all understanding. We pray for Ethel Lance. 70 years old, employee there of Emmanuel AME Church. For 30 years, she worked at this church and served this church. 
So we know she is going to be missed. We pray for Ethel's family, for those in the church that will miss her. We pray you bring comfort. We pray for a Reverend Payne Middleton doctor, 49 years old, and the admission counselor at Southern Wesleyan University. We pray for Payne's family. We pray that your comfort would come, uh, that, Lord, you would bring healing in the midst of so much pain. Uh, we pray for one of our senators and a fellow pastor, Lord. We pray for the Honorable Reverend Clementa Pinckney, Lord, 41 years old, state senator and the pastor of Emmanuel AME Church. We pray for his family. We pray for all of those that served in the Senate with him, that you be with them, that you be with all of the friends at the church and those that are missing their pastor today. God, would you be with that church as they gather today? Be there with them, Lord. I pray for Twanza Sanders, just 26 years old, just earned his business administration degree in university. We pray for his family. We pray for his friends that are missing him. We pray for the church as they gather to get together today and they remember Twanza. We pray you them there, God. We pray for the Reverend Daniel Simmons, senior, 74 years old, retired pastor, uh, gave his life to the gospel. We pray for his family. We pray for the church that misses him. Uh, we pray for the Reverend Sharonda Singleton, 45 years old, uh, track coach at Goose Creek High School. And we pray. We know her son is missing her today. Is missing her, her family today. We pray you'd be with them, Lord. Be with the friends and family. And we pray for Mike Thompson, 59 years old, a church member for many, many years. And we pray for her family and her friends and her church brothers and sisters there, that you would be with them. And Lord, we lift up Dylan Roof to you and we lift up his family. We ask that you would come to them in the outpouring of forgiveness and the outpouring of, of love the extreme measures of grace that are being experienced right now by these families and have been given to Dylan. We pray for him that he would see, and as one of these family members said, would make the choice to repent, to come to you to ask for forgiveness. And we pray for Dylan's family. Be with them, God. I just can't imagine what they're going through. Be with them. And Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the testimony that they have left behind a Bible study. A Bible study where they're in a circle hearing from their pastor, discussing the scriptures, and a 22-year-old young white boy walks in the back of the room and they invite him into their circle, into their circle to hear the scripture to be a part of the discussion. We pray for that church that has so much love that it would do that, Lord. And it continues to be a testimony. We pray for our sister church, for our brothers and sisters in Charleston. Show your compassion, God. Show your compassion. And we pray for this United States of America. We pray for healing in our nation. We pray, Lord, that you bring peace, and we pray for the church whom I believe more than ever 
God is the source of reconciliation and peace and love and hope. Help us as a local church to be that group of people in our community and beyond who have the hope of Christ living practically out in its community of love. Jesus, we thank you for having some time today to gather. We ask you to bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Love it when the church prays. There's nothing, nothing like it. Well, we're in a series uh, in the book of Philippians. I thought, how appropriate. <laughs> Here is a letter being written to a local church, a group of followers of Christ from a pastor who is in jail. He is in jail and he does not know if he's going to make it out of jail alive or not. He is, we make our way through the letter that he wrote to this church. We see where he starts thinking, I'm going to make it out of here. Maybe I'm going to make it back to this church and I'll be able to talk with them and, and help them further. But as we're going to see in our passages today, he didn't know. He, he, there he is writing this encouraging letter, a strong letter, but a very joyful, encouraging letter to a church that he started some 10 years ago. And now he finds himself in jail. Um, in this letter today, we're going to hear why I think local churches exist. We're going to hear what Jesus had in mind for a local church, for a local gathering of people. Because as I said, this is simply a letter. We call it a book, but it's a letter. A letter written from a pastor to a local church that he loves. Probably his favorite church. He loved it probably more than any of the churches that he started. He had great affection for this church. And uh, our text is going to be Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Um, if you have your Bibles and you want to open them to that, you can. Or it will be up on the screen or open your app. I'm going to read from the NLT uh, for this passage. And you'll see why. I usually read from the NIV but uh, I'm going to do this, and then uh, we'll look at use the NIV and some other portions. Dear friends, this is Paul's word to the church in Philippi. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Now, for those of you that uh, are like theologians, you like to study, you like to maybe take commentaries out and read. I'll just, I'm going to throw you a bone right now. Um, <laughs> if you want to look deeper into this scripture, Paul is going to be making some references to some Old Testament stories in it. And you wouldn't know it probably if you didn't just pick up on, uh, if you read through the Old Testament a few times. 
maybe you don't realize this, but the New Testament, uh, Paul didn't have a New Testament. He was living the New Testament. See, this letter that we're reading was simply that. It was just a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he had started. He didn't know when he was writing this letter it was going to end up in the Bible. He didn't know that, but it did. And I'm so glad it did. So his Bible was the Old Testament, which he knew, especially the first five books, really knew well. Plus what he had learned and lived out these few years that he had been following Jesus and being with the other apostles and and having lived with them and being taught what Jesus had taught them. So the letter we get, uh, that is becoming scripture, is scripture for us. But at the time, Paul had to speak from his own life and from the Old Testament. So there's, you know, there's some... uh, comparisons here when you think about it and that is that Israel came out of Egypt we come out of our Egypt that is our bondage to sin to our sinfulness the picture in the Old Testament is Moses leading Israel out of Egypt across the Red Sea to the promised land Jesus leads us out of our bondage to sin our, uh, and into the promised land of the kingdom of God, to his will for our lives. In that process, Israel's told that they're going to be like stars in the sky. And we're going to see this today, that Paul kind of uses this same terminology talking about the church in Philippi. So if you want to do more studying and you want to get a little background of why Paul uses what he uses, you can read back these scriptures. If you've got a study Bible, you probably have those Old Testament texts right there in the liner notes for you. Uh, I've broken it down and made it easy today. I've got four words in your handout. Uh, You have a fill-in, and you should have a pen if you want to track along with me. There are four words that start with M. Uh, I think they fit right into this passage of Scripture very easy as we look at it. And the first one is this. It's mandate. Paul is giving us a mandate. He is giving the church in Philippi a mandate. He is telling them something they should be doing. Here is how you should live. This is what God's plan is for you. This is it. And as we read last week, part of that is in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, when he said over in 5, in your relationships, talking to this church, and let's read it like he's talking to us, because he is, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So that's part of the mandate. Part of the mandate is to think the way Jesus would think. And, of course, you don't know that if we don't get to know him, right? We have no idea how he thinks. We don't know what he thinks about issues and circumstances and people and things unless we get to know him through his scripture. So Paul says, church in Philippi, as you are the local church, as you live out being the local church, this diverse church, This church is made up of Greeks and Romans and probably a few Jews. And that's why he had to explain some of the Old Testament. Gentiles, a jailer with his staff, Roman jailer. As I said earlier, or last week, a demon, formerly demon-possessed girl, maybe a teenage girl, whom Paul cast a demon out of and became a part of the church, of Lydia, the woman that uh, was the first member of this church, and her staff, she owned a business, and so the church probably met in her home. And so this is a diverse church. 
And Paul has to say, listen, all of you with all of your diversity and all of your opinions, the mandate is for you to have the same mindset as Christ. Very hard for everybody to have the same mindset unless we have something really of so much value that we can get on the same page with it. And Paul says, here's the first part of this mandate. You need to learn what Christ wants and then he and who he was. And of course, in that passage of 5 through 11 in the second chapter, he says that Christ was humble. Christ was humble. He was a servant and he was obedient to what God had called him to do. And so he says, that's what I want for you, Philippian church, to be a humble people. People known for their humility. A people known for their servanthood to one another. Serve as Jesus served. And to learn to be obedient the way that Jesus lived his life. So that's part of the mandate. And how do you do that? Well, look in verse 12 that we just read. The NIV says it this way. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds a bit challenging, doesn't it? It sounds like we need to earn our salvation. That's what it kind of sounds like. Work out your salvation. But that's why I read it from the NLT because that's not what it actually means. What it actually means is work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. The mandate is to be like Jesus, to do the working out so it is evident you are God's. That is, work out what God has worked into you. God has already worked himself into you through Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And now Paul says, work that out. It's kind of like if you want to work it out. We live at the beach. Everybody's working out all the time, getting, it, you know, getting fit and all. You start, you've been given something like your muscles, stamina, a certain, uh, maybe you're interested in, in running or surfing or whatever. You've been given a certain potential. Take it, work it out, get the most of it. So Paul says, take what God has given you, what he has put in you, and work it out. Work it out. Don't just go back to your life as normal. Work out what he's given you. That's a mandate from God. And that's Paul passing this on to us. And how do we work that out? By being like Jesus. And look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining. Wow, did he have to say that? I mean, I don't agree with that. Gosh, God, why'd you have to put that in the Bible? It's like, you know, we start complaining about what's in the Scripture, <laughs> arguing with him. Do you know how, how hard it is to live with these people? I mean, again, this is a very diverse church with different backgrounds. People that, from dire poverty to a businesswoman who owned a business to a Roman jailer with his staff, I mean, to a young girl who was demon-possessed. I mean, what a group. You think they had some challenges getting along? (laughs) You know, that's why he's writing the letter. And he loves this church, and they've been doing a great job. He just sees some tremors. He sees something in this church that's concerning him. And he loves it. He loves this church, and he doesn't want to see it fragment. So he says, here's how you live it out. This is how you have the mindset of Christ. Do everything without grumbling and arguing and complaining. Because the grumbling and the arguing and the complaining will kill off the unity that this church knows. 
It'll kill off any church. It will wipe out the unity. It will wipe out the single focus, which is Christ. Single focus. This is a mandate. He says, work it out. Work your salvation out. Let's see how what God has given you will work in your lives, working it out with others. That's a mandate to do. Colossians 3.15, he tells the church in Colossae, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And in Romans 12, 18, he writes another group of Christians in Rome. And he says, same God, Paul, if it is possible, I love that, Ed. if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on who? Which is me, right? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, not the other person, but you. Puts it to the church, to the church member. As far, is it possible for you to live at peace with people? Is it possible to do that within a church culture with so many diverse views and so many diverse uh, people with all kinds of opinions and, and all, but we've gathered the reason the church exists is because of one thing only, Jesus? Is it possible for us to get along together? It is if we have the mind of Christ. It's possible if we keep the mind of Christ. And that is the, mind, that is the mandate. That is the mandate. But it, he also, not only did he give us a mandate, and this is your next feeling, he gave us a model or models. He gave us examples. He didn't leave us and just tell us, go do it this way. He said, here is how you do it. I mean, we still need models in our life. We're, you know, we're talking about Father's Day. It's Father's Day today. And for some of us, are, uh, our fathers were good examples, bad examples. We need models in our life. And Paul says, I'm not going to leave you without models. There's the model of Jesus over in verses 5 through 11 in the second chapter. See how he lived his life. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. There's a model. That is the ultimate model. And then there's the model of Paul himself. Look what he says in verse 17. But even if I am being poured out, like a drink offering. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm in prison, but the gospel is being preached. I'm living it out. I'm working it out. I'm fleshing it out in these dire conditions. I'm living out the mandate. I know you have your struggles, church in Philippi. I know you do, but look, I'm in prison. If I can do this in prison, you can do this thing where you live. If the church in Charleston can live this out through what they're going through now, maybe the church in Myrtle Beach can live out the gospel here in Myrtle Beach. Maybe we can. Models. Paul says, I'm not going to leave you without an example. Here they are. Jesus, and here's because of Jesus' model, here's the way I'm living my life. 
I don't know if I'm going to get it out of here. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here or not. I may be poured out as a drink offering. There's another Old Testament reference to offerings, different types of offerings. And there was a drink offering, and he's saying that his life may be poured out at any moment. He may lose his life, but it would be an offering to God to do so. And so he's saying, I'm living it out in my situation. Church in Philippi, you can live it out too, where you are. There are examples. Models didn't leave us without them. This is what it looks like to live it out. I was praying a while ago and thinking about Emmanuel AME Church and how they asked that young boy to come and get in the circle with them to bring him closer to them. Someone not like them and yet they invited him into the circle. Ask him to come. Be a part of the discussion, the prayer. Come. There is no place like Paul being in jail and living during this period of time or the Philippian church that you can say is without a doubt safe. But we have a Savior. Paul says we have a Savior that whether I'm in an unsafe place like prison or if I'm in a safe place like I'm out and I'm in home, maybe at Lydia's house with the church there, Wherever I am, church, you can live this out. You can work out whatever God has put in you. That is God's word to the Philippian church and it's to us too. But we need a motive. We just can't do it because I say it or Paul says it. A motive is something that causes a person to act. Something that compels them. Something that grabs their heart or gives them the guts to step out. And step into whatever the mandate and whatever the models that we have. When we see something, we say, I want to be like that. I want to live my life like that. There has to be some motive behind that. That's your third fill-in, motive. What Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? Why should I do that? I haven't done it yet. <laughs> you know, Why should I live my life? Why should I get along in the church without grumbling or arguing? Why? And he gives us the word. Here's the motive in Philippians 2.15. So that no one can criticize you. And what he means is outside the church, as the, church, as the people in the pagan world looks inside this new thing called Christianity, this first few years, maybe 20 years of the church's existence right now. It's only been around 15, 20 years right now. As they look inside this strange group, is there anything to criticize them for? Oh, look, man, they like talk about each other. They like, you know, they're slamming each other right and left. Boy, you should see their business meetings. You know, <laughs> Things like that. He said, no, you should get along with each other so you won't be criticized by those who look in from the outside. That's a motive. And he goes on and he uses the Old Testament example. He says, innocent lives... You live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. If anything, this week we saw that our culture is still wicked and perverse. We still live in a dark place on this earth. We do. 
But Paul says just then, the church can live as lights. And the darker it gets, the brighter the church seems and is, as we're seeing even now. That's the motive. The motive is not even ourselves, even though it's certainly a lot better in life when we get along, isn't it? Isn't that a lot more joyful? You say, but I got an opinion, Tim. You know, I'm not saying you don't have your opinion. That's not what I'm saying. And I'll, I'll make more mention of this in just a minute. I'm not saying that. But the world, other people outside and within. I mean, if you're, if you're here this morning at the Vineyard and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook for all of this, okay? You can argue and, well, you know, you can just be free. But I want you to know, dear friend, who is here because probably God is dealing with you. And you would not be here if God did not love you and was calling you. You wouldn't be in this place. You wouldn't. But I want you to know that this is the way the church should behave. And I want to apologize to you. And I want to say the bad examples and models that you have had are not the only models around. There are other models around like Jesus like Emmanuel AME Church right now. There are models around. I think this church is a model. We get along pretty darn good here. I like it. But we don't get along so well as we do because of anything other than we work it out. We work out what God has worked into us. And we want to live that life. And we want to live it because there are others watching indeed. There are others watching us, wondering, is there any difference with you guys at all? I mean, really? Any at all? Motives. The first motive, I'm going to read a quote from, again, you guys who are theologians or studying the Scripture. This is from a guy named Gordon Fee, uh, one of my favorite guys. I say that about everybody, though, don't I? Um, (laughs) All right. There's a lot of guys out there, you know, and gals, too, that, like, really write some cool stuff. But this is in his commentary from this passage, and he says... uh, Be blameless with regard to their observable behavior so that they might be recognized for what they are, the children of God, and that they might thus be blameless, here's the next motive, for the day of Christ. Why be a part of a church? So you can get rubbed the wrong way. Yeah, that's right. So you can work it out. So you can work it out. You know, if it's left up to us, what we do is take our toys and go home. The minute we have a problem, well, I'm just taking my ball and I'm running home. You know, leave the court. Like, see how good you get along without this. And we're out of here. Instead, Jesus says, stick it out, work it out, show the world that this is a different group. There's a Lord in the midst of this group. Have the mindset of Christ. And... Again, I'm not saying you don't have opinions. We all got opinions. God gave you some of your opinions. Um, (laughs) Well, that's me too. (laughs) Uh, But it's not saying we don't have our differences. It's the fact that we work it out. I mean, over in chapter 4, we're going to find out that uh, in this church in Philippi, there were two ladies, very wonderful women, Yodia. These are great names, huh? Yodia and Sintaichi. And these two ladies had ministered with Paul. They had traveled with him and helped preach the gospel and helped him preach the gospel. And uh, he says over in verse 2 of chapter 4, in this book that we're studying, he says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintaichi 
not picking sides, saying one's right or one's wrong, but he says this, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, where have we heard that before? Right? We've heard it three times now from Paul. Have the same mind as Christ. So he's like, I'm not getting into what the differences are, but see that you have the same mind of Christ because that's where the unity lies. And he tells these two wonderful ladies he loves. He's not being critical. He's saying, hey, here it is. This is how to deal with it. Have the same mind of Christ. Do that. And so the first motive is so that people can see us as a living community and see an example of what it's like to get along with each other, even with all of our differences and opinions. And the second one is we're going to stand before God one day. I mean, I can't not put this in here. This is here. Paul says, church, you're going to stand there one day. You're going to stand before God one day. And Paul says, you know what? Make me proud. That's what he says to this church that he loves. As he's sitting in jail, he says, make me proud. So that when I stand there on judgment day and I stand there in front of God and you're there, Philippian church, that I can look at you like I'm looking at you now, so proud of you, and go, yeah. They worked it out. They took what you gave them, God, and they worked it out. In their lives. Make me proud on that day. Make me proud on that day. So there were two motives there. For the outside. That people could see. And also that one day. We do give an account. We do give an account. Of how we treat one another. And especially within the church I think. But then we've got to have the resources right. This is your fourth fill in. We've got to have the means. We've got to have the means to carry this out. Because, again, we don't have it in ourselves. Every one of us would grab our ball, you know, grab the basketball, grab our games, and go home whenever we start having problems. You know, I grew up with all brothers. You know, one brother would get mad with the other brother and take and leave home. I was the oldest, so I just beat everybody up. So, and took the game back, you know. And so, but that's how selfish we are. I mean, we're like, if there's not something grander, bigger, more powerful, and more appealing something we can appeal to other than ourselves, then we're probably not going to do this thing very well. We're just not going to do it. We've got to have some other means to pull this off. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2.13, he says, For God is working in you, giving you the what? The desire and the what? power to do what pleases him is any of this resonating with you like is there any desire like right now in your heart church member you going like that's the church i want to be a part of yeah i want to see that well that's not even you that's god that's how awesome god is this is the means by which god brings us to his church is through himself he gives the desire for this in a church Paul tells this Philippian church, you guys can't do this on your own, but God is going to give you, he is going to provoke you to have a desire for this to happen. You're going to look around the room, you're going to look at one another and go, we want to be a church that the world can look at and says, my, my, look how well they love. Look how much they love Jesus. Look how much they love one another. And he says, the fact that you even think about that and want that is God. 
Now, God will not frustrate you by giving you a desire and then not giving you a way to experience it. And that's why he says, and God will give you the power to do it as well. That is through the Holy Spirit. When we come to know Jesus Christ, his own very presence comes to live within us. To provoke us, to move us, to convict us, to empower us. When you don't want to go talk to that person. And you're like, oh man, I can't do this in myself. I can't do it. You're right. It's okay. Say that. But the fact that you're even desiring to is God. So say, okay. You know, all right, God, I'll do it. Because I know you'll give me the power through your Holy Spirit to go and respond correctly. To go right. So that's, man, that's great hope because we don't have it in ourselves. You know, my prayer all week, I don't know why this thing in Charleston has touched me so much, but it has deeply touched me. Deeply, in so many ways. I mean, especially for the church, for the local church, it has done something that I can't explain. That, that I feel like that desire has been awakened in me again because I know we live in such a dark place. And this culture needs the light of God in a group of people. They can learn to live and love and serve Jesus together with all of our opinions, all of our right and correct opinions. It's amazing we're all right. We're all correct, but we can get along. (laughs) We can do it because God has given us the desire and he's given us the power to do it. One of my favorite scripture and promises in the Old Testament again that Paul knew so well is in Ezekiel 36. In verse 26, God knows that we have a struggle with this. People, he knows that. He knows we're human beings. He knows we're fraught with every kind of temptation and fraught with every kind of feeling, and it's tough for us. And so he said four or five hundred years prior to Jesus even coming and the Holy Spirit coming and filling his church, he said this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And do what? Move you. I love that. Move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. Who will give to you? Who's going to do this? God will give you a new heart. You won't turn over a new page. God's going to give you a new heart. Who will remove from you that stony heart? Who's going to do that? That's going to be God. That's who does that. Who's going to put his spirit in you? God's going to do that. And who is going to put the desire in you and give you the power to move, to follow? God has taken all of this on himself for you. Now, you have to cooperate. You're not a robot. You have to work out what God has worked in. Get it? Work out what God has worked in to you. That new heart. Work out what God has worked in to you. There's a mandate. There's a model. There's a motive. And he has given us the means. This is God's word to us as much as it was to the church in Philippi. And my prayer and my hope and wonderful expectation is we're going to experience even more of this in the days ahead. The glory and the beauty of his church, loving the world and loving one another, 
so that more can come to know him. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.